Jude, starting in verse 5. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay with their own proper position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual morality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walk in the way of Cain and abandon themselves for the sake of gain of Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast. They feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, Wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds and their ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. That sounds the reading of God's holy word. Let's go now before the Lord in prayer. O Lord, our God, as we come before you this evening and... Read and study your word, and as it is preached, we do pray that you would give us the illuminating power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we know that every single one of the words contained in this book is true and accurate. Lord, that it has been breathed out by you and that it is, it is profitable for us as your people. Lord, we ask that you would allow us to take to heart the, uh, the words that Jude has here recorded for us. Lord, that we would take to heart the warnings and that we would cast our full trust upon Christ, knowing that when we come to him, we are secure and we are forgiven. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We live in a world where reminders are very important. Uh, just this past week, I had a, a dentist appointment, and I received a, a reminder by way of text. Uh, that's one of those appointments I would be okay with uh, forgetting about and, uh, and forgetting the reminder. But uh, we also have reminders for important dinners. We have reminders if there's a job interview. We have reminders anytime there are very important events that we simply do not want 
to forget. Now Jude is going to present before us a reminder, and it does not have to do with a dentist appointment. It doesn't have to do with uh, a dinner or a job interview. It is concerning uh, our very souls, and it is concerning the, uh, the very souls of those whom he was writing to. And as, as I said in the, the previous weeks, we saw that the, the church in the first century is up against false teachers who have slipped in and they are teaching things that go against the apostolic doctrine. And as we make our way through verses 5 to 16, what I want us to see, the, the doctrine that I want to make sure that we, we are drawing from this text is this. That Christians must flee rebellious false teachers and hold fast to apostolic teaching. That Christians must flee rebellious false teachers and hold fast to apostolic teaching. And the, the way that I've divided out the passage is, first we've got Jude giving us three Old Testament examples in verses 5 through 7. Three Old Testament examples first that illustrate rebellion and its results. And then secondly, we'll have a two-point sermon. Verses 8 to 16 is the false teachers unmasked. Jude is going to go through and identify these false teachers and make sure that the early Christians know the danger that they are in and that they're able to identify these teachers and avoid them. So first, rebellion and its results in verses 5 to 7. And secondly, false teachers unmasked in verses 8 to 16. So first, the rebellion and its results. As I said, what we have here is three Old Testament examples that are are being drawn out for Jude's readers. Uh, Jude is assuming that his readers are are very uh, competent in their knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures. And so he first brings out in verse 5 the first generation who came out of Egypt. Secondly, he has the angels who are, are now in uh, prison and have been, are waiting for the judgment in verse 6. And then finally in verse 7, we have Sodom and Gomorrah. But he begins first with the generation that came out of Egypt. He says, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And if you're looking at your, your Bible, depending on what translation you have, you may be wondering, why is it that I said it's Jesus that led the people out of Egypt? And uh, while we don't have time to go into a full explanation of New Testament textual criticism, we, we remember that it is the, the earliest and best manuscripts that we want to base our translation upon. And uh, the, the earliest manuscripts actually have Jesus, while some other Bibles will have Lord. But uh, this, this is significant, that we have Jude writing about the second person of the Trinity, uh, Jesus, who's delivering a people out of Egypt. And what we have here is the important principle that simply being involved within God's covenant community isn't always a clear indication that you're, you're possessing uh, saving faith. That is a, a point that is, is belabored by Jude here. 
that we know the first generation of the people of Israel, they all came out, they saw the signs and the wonders, they saw God deliver uh, them out of Egypt, out of that iron furnace. And yet, we know that the first generation was unbelieving, that they were ordered to go up and take the land to, to possess it, and yet when they sent up spies, the spies said that there are large giants there and that there are, uh, there are fortresses that are fortified up to heaven. And they said, no, we will not go up into this good land. And all except Moses and Joshua and Caleb perished in the wilderness because of their unbelief. And so Jude is reminding these, these early Christians just because you are uh, involved with the covenant community, that is, that's not going to be enough. There must be ongoing faith in the Lord and obedience to His commands. He delivered those, or rather, He destroyed those who did not believe. So that's the, the first example of uh, there was rebellion with swift and severe judgment. Secondly, He goes on and He speaks of the angels. Now, this is the, the first instance in the book of Jude where it's very important to try to understand uh, what, what account he is quoting. Later on, Jude will quote from the uh, non-canonical book of Enoch. And the question is, when he brings up the issue of the angels, is he referring to, is he just alluding to the, the interpretation given by the book of Enoch? And uh, in the book of Enoch, it takes the interpretation that in Genesis 6, you've got the, the sons of God and the daughters of men coming together, and then there's, there's giants. The second interpretation would be that uh, this refers to the original fall of the angels before the, before the fall of Adam and Eve. And uh, personally, I take the second view that this refers to the, the original fall of the angels but either way, no matter how we take it, the thrust of the passage is that when the angels rebelled, they just rebelled once, and it was immediate, swift, and severe judgment. And um, I remember the, the first time that I really thought about the significance of the unredeemability of angels. It was in college, and I I had considered before, yes, I know that angels are not going to be saved. But I was reading a, a particular, particular writer who was pressing the point that when the, when the angels rebelled, that was it. There was no possibility for redemption. There was no possibility that they would ever be released from prison, that they would ever be released from hell. That was it. And the writer impressed upon his readers Think about what privileges you have been given as, as those who are the, the offspring of the woman to be given the opportunity. If you want to be saved, that you may be. What a privilege we have. And yet these angels did not have that opportunity, but rather there was swift and severe judgment. Jude goes on and he gives his third illustration his third example from Old Testament history, and that is of Sodom and Gomorrah. And this is uh, certainly a teaching that would have not been very common in the first century, and it's not very common today, and yet this is part of the whole counsel of God. 
He says, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual morality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing punishment of eternal fire. Now, Jude is referring back to Genesis 19 with the, uh, with the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he notes that the inhabitants of the city, they first they engaged in sexual immorality, but he gets even more specific. And he says that they, they pursued unnatural desire. And if you have a, a footnote in your Bible, you might have something that says, or different flesh. With No matter how this is translated, the idea is that if it's unnatural desire, it's contrary to what God intends men and women to pursue. So that we have here a, a clear teaching that there are, there are two genders, there are only two genders, and if you're going to be uh, pursuing marriage, it is with the, with the opposite sex. Different flesh refers to these men in Sodom and Gomorrah who were pursuing uh, sexual relations not with women, but with other men. And even, oddly enough, today in, in professing churches and in, in professing Presbyterian churches, at times there is a, a defense of the practice of homosexuality. And yet, if we look at this passage, if we look at other passages in Scripture, if we look at Genesis 19, there, there's absolutely no question how the Lord of heaven and earth feels about this practice. He rained fire and sulfur down upon them and destroyed an entire city of people who were engaging in this practice. Now, we certainly know that we ought never to be uh, mean or violent towards those who, who are engaging in sin, uh, but we ought to pray for them. We ought to pray for them that the Lord would regenerate their hearts and that they would forsake their sin and turn to Christ in, in faith. This is the third example of swift and severe judgment that was brought upon the people uh, who rebelled against the Lord. Now Jude, as you can probably imagine, he's applying this to the false teachers in his own day. And we'll see later on that he's going to talk about uh, Korah's rebellion, where uh, those who rebelled against uh, Moses and the Lord, they were, they were swallowed up. But the idea is here with verses 5 to 7 that uh, when there is rebellion against the Lord and His commands, there will be swift and severe judgment. And that there is, there is no excuse for trying to, to justify sin. It appears, we'll see in just a moment, that the false teachers were attempting to rely on their own private revelations to justify specific sins. And yet Jude wants to remind these Christians there will be swift and severe judgment if you follow in that way. Let's look secondly at verses 8 to 16 with uh, false teachers unmasked. He goes on, he says in verse 8, Yet in like manner these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Now, the question is, what, what does it mean that these people are relying on dreams? And there's been a few different interpretations put forward. 
But it appears that these uh, false teachers are relying on uh, false, false revelations that they're claiming to have. In fact, the, the, the word here that we have for, for dreams or, or dreamers, its a related word, appears in the Septuagint of Deuteronomy chapter 13. And if you recall, the Septuagint is a, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. And in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 2, it is used to speak about the false prophets. That is, the false prophets who say, we are speaking in the name of the Lord, and yet they are speaking something that is contrary to the revealed word. That appears to be what is going on here. They're, re- they're relying on these dreams, this further revelation that goes beyond apostolic authority in order to justify their defiling of the flesh, rejecting authority, blaspheming glorious ones. And it's very interesting. If you study church history, there's a, uh, there's a trend that any time a, uh, anytime a, a cult or, or an errant group within the church appeals to further revelation above and beyond the written word, it's not very long before immorality begins to seep in. It's not long before great wickedness begins to seep in because you're, you're going above and beyond the written word. And some may, may argue, well, if we, we don't want to, to bind ourselves to, to the Scriptures because that might, that might prohibit the, the Spirit from, from working freely and from working among us. And uh, I remember I was in an RTS systematic theology class. I won't say which professor. But he raised this objection, and he said that some people will claim, well, if you, if you only strap yourself down to the Word, you're, you're binding the Spirit because you can't go beyond the Word. And he said, the Spirit, uh, the Spirit wrote a book. Perhaps you know it. It's the Bible. And because the Spirit inspired the very words of Scripture, the, the Spirit is setting the own, it's His own bounds. He, he's not being kept in at all. He's not being boxed in, but rather He Himself has set the parameters we don't want to be those who rely on dreams for the revelations, anything like that. He says, and he goes on, and he's going to, in the next following verses, list off so many different uh, examples of what these false teachers are up to. He says, defile the flesh. Uh, once again, this is uh, an indication that these false teachers were attempting to justify uh, sexual immorality, defiling the flesh. And um, in our own day, we can, the, the example of what this would be is just the, the whole range of what would fall into the category of sexual immorality. So it would not only be uh, adultery that is committing uh, sexual immorality with someone else's spouse or when you're married, but fornication that is between two unmarried people, uh, homosexuality, transgenderism, the whole thing. These false teachers are, are attempting to, to justify diverting from the Word of God. They reject authority. They blaspheme the glorious ones. The authority here appears to be the authority of Christ. They're rejecting the authority of Christ and blaspheming the glorious ones. Now, when he says that they're, they're blaspheming the glorious ones, the question is, what, what is this referring to? 
Well, I think we, we get a little bit of an ex, further explanation when we come to verse 9, because once again, uh, Jude is making use of, of the book of Enoch. Again, this is an uninspired work. It is not a part of the canon of Scripture. Uh, and yet, it appears that Jude knew that his audience was well aware of this non-canonical work. And it's also possible that there were some traditions within this book that were true and accurate. It's, it's difficult to say. We can't, we can't know for sure. But in the book of Enoch, there's, a, there's an account where the archangel Michael is disputing with Satan over the body of Moses after Moses has died. And the archangel Michael simply says, Lord, rebuke you. He doesn't, he doesn't speak out against uh, Satan in a way that would be uh, reviling or, or blasphemous. He simply says, the Lord rebuke you. And he, he gives it to the Lord to, to execute judgment. And the idea is that these false teachers are, are blaspheming glorious ones, that is angels. And uh, if the idea is from the, from the greater to the lesser, if the archangel Michael did not, uh, did not slander or pronounce a, a blasphemous judgment against Satan when he was well within his right, neither should these uh, False teachers utter slander or blasphemy against these angels when it is clearly not in their right. The reason why these false teachers may be speaking blasphemous things against angels is that in the New Testament we're told that the law at Mount Sinai was put in place by an intermediary. It was put in place by angels. We can see that in Acts chapter 7, verse 53 in Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. And the idea would be that these false teachers are speaking out against angels because they have some connection with the law and they want to cast the law off themselves. They want nothing to do with it. He goes on and we start a, sort of a new section in verse 11 where he says, woe to them. And anytime we see woes in Scripture, it is a, it is a bad thing. It is speaking about coming judgment. We can think about the, the woes against the scribes and the Pharisees. And once again, we'll see that Jude is going to use a, a, a pattern of threes. He's already done that once with the, uh, with the three Old Testament examples. Now, once again, we have a pattern of threes, the way of Cain, the uh, error of Balaam, and Korah's rebellion. Each of these are, are Old Testament examples. Cain, as we know, is the one who is known in Scripture as the first murderer. He's known as one of the, uh, he is the, the first one who is uh, a true unbeliever, someone who was without faith, someone who was without love. And Jude appears to be drawing a connection and saying, just, just like Cain, no faith, no love. He was an unbeliever and he was a murderer. These false teachers are, are murdering souls. They're unbelievers. They're without love and they're without faith. Balaam's error. We know that Balaam in the Old Testament was the one who, who was called by Balak to uh, utter a, a curse against the people of Israel, and yet he was not able to do that. It says in Numbers chapter 31, 16, Behold, these on Balaam's advice caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And so the plague came among the congregations. 
and Second Peter, and very, very similar. He says, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved to gain from wrongdoing. And so we see that the false, false teacher, Balaam, he was leading the people of God astray, and he was also greedy. It seems there's a connection with false teachers. They're greedy for gain, and they're leading the people of God astray. Korah's rebellion. We remember that Korah uh, rose up with many people and, and tried to overthrow the leadership of Moses. And yet, when they rebelled against God, God had the earth open up and they went down into Sheol alive. They were uh, punished and God brought upon them swift and severe judgment. And likewise, Jude is likely exhorting his, his audience Stay away from these who are rebelling. Stay away from these who are rejecting authority so that you too are not swept away in their error. These are hidden reefs at your love feast. They, they feast without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by winds. Fruitless trees in late autumn. Twice dead. Uprooted. Waves of the sea casting up foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. He is just listing off uh, description after description of the, of the severity of the danger that these people are in. Hidden reefs in the, in the ocean would be these reefs that are, are uh, unseen to the eye as you're steering the ship. And yet if you, if you sail over it, it's just going to rip the bottom of your boat open. You're going to sink. You're going to perish. He says that these dangerous false teachers are in their midst, even at their love feast. And these love feasts would have been, uh, in, they would have been very similar to a fellowship meal. So Jude is saying that these false teachers who are attempting to, to lead the people of God astray from apostolic teaching and lead them to hell, they're at your potlucks. They're in the midst of you feeding themselves rather than others, as a good shepherd would do. Waterless clouds, that is, they're deceptive. If you're thinking about uh, the, the necessity of having your crops watered and you see clouds blowing in only to find out that they're uh, not full of water, they're deceptive. Fruitless trees, late autumn, uprooted, twice dead. That is, trees that have made it all the way to the time of autumn and they produce no fruit then they're uprooted. They're, they're twice dead. The wild ways of the sea, Jude is likely alluding to a passage in Isaiah speaking about the, the wicked casting up uh, mud and mire. Wandering stars, that is, they're, they're unreliable. If you're sailing and you're trying to uh, find out where you're at on the high seas, looking up at the night sky, if you have a wandering star that can't be counted upon, that's going to be disastrous for your navigation. And then we find a very terrifying verse in 13. At the very end, it says, speaking of these false teachers, for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. This is a reference to hell. Reserved forever by whom? By God. Jude is, is so sure that these false teachers are utterly destructive and without faith that he can say, 
that their own place in hell has been reserved. Stay away from them. Do not follow these teachers. And then finally, let's look at verses 14 and following, which is Enoch's prophecy. Once again, this is a a time where Jude is making use of the non-canonical book of Enoch. Although this this could be one of those instances where uh, where the prophecy that is recorded within the book perhaps may, may be valid. It may have some, some truth to it. He says, It is about these, the false teachers, that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment and convict all the ungodly of their, ungo- of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Four times we have the word ungodly repeated. I I think we're getting his point. These are ungodly people. And yet it says that, uh, that Enoch was prophesying about these people that the Lord would come with ten thousands of his holy ones and that he would bring judgment. That is that Christ would come with his holy ones, that he would bring judgment upon all these ungodly. And he's saying these false teachers are a part of that group that will be judged. And if you are following after them, if you are following in the way of their teaching, you too may very well find yourself among those who are being, being judged. Very, very serious. And then he, he lists off several different sins that can be attributed to the false teachers in verse 16. Jude has unmasked these false teachers. He has gone out of his way to make sure that those within the covenant community recognize the seriousness of these false teachers that they are attempting to lead the people of God astray. And he's saying, stay away. Flee from them. Hold to apostolic teaching so that you too are not swept away. Now as we... As we close, I'd like to offer a few points of application from this, from this passage. And, and certainly we have, within these few verses, some very, very heavy and, and sober topics. And it's, it's no wonder that this is uh, often a very, very neglected book. But I'd like to offer a few points of application, or I could say a, a few points of of reminding from the Scriptures. So some reminders from the Scriptures based on what we've just seen in Jude. The first would be to remember that at this time the church is still still a mixed bag. That is, we, we see in Matthew chapter 13, verses 47 and following, Jesus giving a parable of, of the current uh, current state of the kingdom. And He says, And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered out fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is an important reminder for us, especially in the current state of the church, 
that not everyone who claims to be a follower of Christ and claims to be a teacher within the church is genuinely converted and is a safe guide. There are still those who are unconverted mixed within the converted people of God. We've got the visible church, that is the church as we see it, but also the invisible church would be the true saints as God sees it. It is a mixed bag and and the Lord will sort out at the end of the age and make sure that those who are truly righteous are rewarded and that those who are imposters will be cast out. One way that we can identify false teaching and false teachers is by asking what what kind of fruit are they producing? Jude said that these false teachers False teachers are twice dead and uprooted. They're, they're fruitless trees. They would have not been producing any of the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And it would have, been, would have been evident. We can also ask ourselves, if someone is bringing us teaching, and it sounds a little bit off uh, from, the, from the ethical standpoint, from the moral standpoint, does the teaching that they bring require you to violate any of the Ten Commandments? If it does, they're calling you to violate the the perfect law of God. It's false teaching. Secondly, I'd like to remind us of the reality of hell. We saw that in verse 13. And allow me to to read from the Westminster Larger Catechism, question 89, which says, What shall be done to the wicked at the day of the judgment? says, at the day of judgment, the wicked shall be set on Christ's right, left hand and upon clear evidence and full conviction of their own consciences shall have the fearful but just sentence of condemnation pronounced upon them. And thereupon shall be cast out from the favorable presence of God and the glorious fellowship with Christ, his saints and all his holy angels into hell to be punished with unspeakable torments, both body and soul, with the devil and his angels forever. The the doctrine of hell is is one of those that we, we simply cannot ignore and pretend that it does not exist. It is one that needs to be preached, and it is a place that needs to be feared. Uh, very often we, we think that hell, oh, that's, that's just something that was made up in the medieval church. That's not really a real place. And yet the teaching of Scripture is that hell is a, is a real place. And that it is as real as Washington, D.C. It is as real as Clinton, Mississippi. And there are people who go there and you can never leave. And as the Catechism pointed out, hell is a place of unspeakable torment who who will be in hell just a short short list certainly not comprehensive vile people who spent their entire life hurting others will be in hell murderers will be in hell Those who commit adultery will be in hell. Those who commit sexual immorality, homosexuality, will be in hell. 
Idolaters will be in hell. Church members will be in hell. Elders and pastors will be in hell. Any of those who clung to their sin rather than clinging to Christ. That is, all those who died not resting in Christ alone. And yet I would like to also have us remember the mercy of Christ. In 1 John, we are told in the first chapter of 1 John that First John says in verse uh, 10 of the first chapter, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. That is, those who refuse to confess their sins and rely on Christ alone, they will be lost because they've made Christ a liar. But also we have the great promise of the mercy of Christ. In verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the question is, who will be in heaven? Who will be with Christ? Repentant pastors, repentant elders, repentant church members, those who were once idolaters but turned to serve the living God, those who once practiced homosexuality but repented and turned to Christ, those who were once adulterers but cast themselves upon the mercy of Christ, those who were once murderers but have been given life by God, those who were once the vilest people who hurt others but came and cast themselves down before Christ. Allow me to end with this wonderful, absolutely wonderful promise in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, this is Paul speaking to members within the, the church of God. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, neither idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Thanks be to Christ for the wonderful salvation that we have been given. Let us be those who contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, what, what privileges you have given us. Lord, to be counted among your, your redeemed, to be given the full forgiveness of our sins. Lord, we thank you that you have loved us, that you have lavished your grace upon us. And we praise your name. Lord, we ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, enable us to be those who hold fast to the apostolic teaching, fast to your word. 
Lord, that we would be those who reject false teaching and that we would flee away from it. Lord, any of those who would attempt to lure us away from your good word, Lord, that we would flee. And Lord, that as, as far as within our ability, we pray that we would be those who pray and intercede for a lost world. We thank you so much. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.